another episode here of Getting There with Gaz, where we talk to media members, coaches, athletes, business owners, and more about their careers and the journeys of how they got there. Drew's Logar, Capital Region's own, joins us on this episode. He's got an incredible story for the place he's been so early in his professional career. So, Drew, let's start at the beginning, man. A young Drew's Logar, six, seven, eight years old. What did you want to be as a kid? And it was the same thing you wanted to be when you were 18. And tell us a little bit about where you grew up as well, the area. For sure. Well, guys, great to be on with you. Uh, exciting stuff. So uh, glad to be a part of this. But um, yeah, eight-year-old Drew, I would have told you I wanted to be uh, a professional athlete. So uh, I've been a sports junkie all my life and being around the game, uh, playing or just watching has just always kind of driven me. And uh, as the years went by, I, I really started to find the passion for uh, the broadcasting side of things. I think going into high school and uh, going into college, I was really kind of focused on uh, the Mike and Mikes of the world, the uh, the morning talk shows, the guys that woke up every morning uh, knowing that they were going to get a check to talk about sports. I, I saw that uh, that's what I was doing with my friends the most um, when I wasn't playing. And if I could make that a career, that was kind of where I was focused. Um, and when I was in college, uh, I started to see just the value of kind of the media side, the digital media, social media, and um, one thing led to another and and we'll get to that. But yeah, it, it's it's always been about sports for me and um, it, it's it's been a cool journey. So many of the past guests have had the same thing that you wanted to be a, a pro athlete, but unlike those former guests and you, man, you got the body, you got the height, you got <laughs> the athleticism. You're about what, six, 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 seven now when you're yeah, a teen? Yeah. So six, six, um, I, I was always kind of taller in my in my class in my grade group um and then in high school i had kind of a spurt of five and a half inches or so in the middle of high school that uh basically cemented me as one of the taller guys in my class um and yeah luckily i was i was pretty decent at basketball so i ended up uh playing in my high school team at shenandoah i grew up in clifton park new york about 20 minutes north of albany um and was very lucky and fortunate enough to uh, be an NCAA athlete. I went to Clarkson University, uh, played four years of basketball on the men's basketball team there. And um, yeah, it was, I, I was fortunate to, first of all, have good genes. So shout out the parents. Uh, <laughs> and then second of all, having the, uh, the passion enough that was strong enough to, to make playing sports uh, something that I was, that I was going to focus on. Yeah, let's go through the recruiting process because those who are familiar with Chen know it's a powerhouse. For those aren't, it is yeah. one of the biggest high schools in all of New York State where we've seen professional athletes come from your alma mater before. Mm -hmm. Take us through the process. Was it just Division three schools? And were you nervous? Were you excited? Were you stressed? Uh, what was that process like being a teenager, getting recruited to take it to the next level? Yeah, totally. Um, very fortunate that Shen, like you said, w just is on the uh, statewide and kind of the regional map every year with all of their sports and just the sheer size of the school. So uh, knew that if uh, the the skill set was there, I was going to have an opportunity uh, to get to get kind of looked at. And yeah, fortunate enough, I think it was kind of a, a collection of the AAU circuit. So kind of that travel circuit when you get older, um, those elite tournaments that you get to go to and uh, showcase your skills there, those live periods of recruiting. Um, that was a huge um, benefactor for me, uh, kind of showcasing your stuff in a good way at one of those weekends can really get yourself on the map. And, um, it's kind of an incestual, um, 
system the, that college basketball recruiting is that once one or, or a few schools uh, catch word that a kid is now on the map of a couple other schools, then it's just like, wait, why aren't we looking? And then next thing you know, it kind of snowballs a little bit. So going into my junior year, I uh, was starting to build up um, a more localized, a New York, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, uh, regional kind of um, recruiting circle. And uh, yeah, junior year in high school, had a, a good enough year to uh, maintain that interest in at the D3 level. And my uh, junior summer is really where, uh, if you're not like a top 20 player that is on the map since a freshman year, I wasn't that. So the junior year in high school is really the, uh, the go zone. If you're going to make a splash, that's going to be uh, the, the summer that you do it. And um had a good couple recruiting camps where uh, you kind of go to these camps and it's hosted by just a, a slew of head coaches and assistant coaches at all these D2, D1, and D3 schools. And um, had a few D2s that were that were interested, but knew that uh, I knew personally that I wanted to go somewhere that I was going to be able to make an impact um, as close to right away as possible. And the more that I was talking to schools and the more that I was understanding just the college game, the division three level was, uh, was going to be suited best for me. And, uh, it came down to a couple schools. It was Clarkson university. It was Hobart William Smith college. Um, and it was Skidmore college, uh, as kind of my down to my top three. Um, and just everything that, I could eat. I'm remembering it right now. Just everything about my recruit visit to Clarkson was just different. It like the, the relationship that I had with the then coach um, just making, it was almost like a fatherly figure. It was very, very passionate to um, kind of accommodating that I was a 17, then 18 year old kid, like going off for the first time, not being with my family. Um, it was focused on basketball, of course, but he, it was focused on transitioning me to be like the best man I could be. And I think just with the education that it was going to provide me, the uh, the family atmosphere that he really preached uh, on the basketball side of things as well, it kind of all matriculated itself to be uh, to be the right choice. And I think if I could do the process over again, I would have picked Clarkson 10 times out of 10 again. And I've told you this many times, even over my alma mater, Hobart, which hurts. But when you say Clarkson <laughs> that well and you brag about your squad and everything yep. else, I, I won't give you enough grief because I've given you that too many times over the years. <laughs> but when you are a student athlete, there is this interesting balancing act of you have an idea of what you want to do for the rest of your life. You knew it was sports broadcasting, but you have to find that way to be both, again, a student an athlete, and then further your education and find that path you wanted to. Were you able, because of being an athlete, to get into things like broadcasting games or the, the school radio station or classes? Take us through kind of the things you were still able to do while balancing being an athlete. Yeah, no, it's um, a great question. I, I think something that uh, the more that you are focused on being an athlete and it's just kind of second nature of putting in the time and the effort that re that is required to maintain that uh, level of kind of just talent, I guess, is it no longer, it's just kind of becomes part of your life. So the hours that you were spending on in the gym, in the weight room was just part of the day. So whether I was waking up an extra hour early to make sure that 
I would get the stuff that I needed to get done uh, out of the way. Uh, it also, it, so that that's kind of how it started. And when you are working and, and playing, the athletic department knew me and uh, I kind of early on really addressed uh, even to my coaches that I was just like, hey, I'm very interested in sports broadcasting. I want to talk about sports. I want to do this and that. And um, through the help of my team and through the help of just being at a smaller school, I had the uh, the ability to, to early on go into the athletic department and be, hey, I'm, I'm willing to help uh, in any way possible. Like ideally, I would love to be the voice of some of these sporting teams. But if it's writing post-game blogs, if it's interviewing the players uh, after, a, after a good game for a couple quotes, anything that you need, I'm going to be your guy. And um, for some of the sports that uh, maybe didn't have it as much of a focus, uh, won't go into them to, to kind of trash them in that way. But uh, yeah, there, there was opportunities within the maybe 19 sports, I think Clarkson puts on that uh, they needed a, a play-by-play guy. They needed a, a writer. So um, sophomore year, I really started to do that, but I think it, it was a credit to just having the passion to like, I needed to do it. I needed to fulfill that itch. Um, and then also walking into the athletic department to ask and then being like, Oh, he's on the basketball team. Hey drew. And it was a name that they were familiar with. So I think all of that culminated to uh, getting that shot of uh, early on in my college days of um, being on the sidelines as more of a reporter and, and announcer. Uh, and then I ended up enjoying a good three years of uh, uh, good activity with that. Yeah, and I think a lot of people who wonder about that next step, even talking about the high school ranks, when you're making that decision of where to potentially go to school, if you have an opportunity like Drew did to play college athletics, you hear the benefits right there. Not only just a friend group of easy friends because you're doing the same things and having the same schedules, but being fully aware of who the decision makers are when it comes to your athletic department and who you can get in with, that is a huge advantage. Now, as I tell everybody at this part of the podcast, they do eventually tell you, you have to leave school. You can no longer hang out at college forever. You do have to become a professional. And if my timeline's correct here, I feel like at this point, your senior year, you started emailing me at 104.5, the team. Was your first professional job working for 104.5, the team as a producer board out out of college? Guys, that's exactly right. My first my first <laughs> professional job was uh, at the Town Square Me- uh, Media Studios, and uh, all thanks to you. It's uh, uh, you've been one of the day ones in in terms of my growth. So uh, we're coming full circle here. But yeah, uh, working at ESPN 104.5 was uh, one of the first stops for me. Yeah, and I remember you were running the board and board oppie, which basically means you were oh, sitting man. on the board and watching, right? Yan- listening to Yankee games and making sure all the commercials played and everything else. And as much as I'd like to sit on that, I think the more ex- exciting thing that people are going to find interesting is the day you call me and you're like, hey, uh, guys, I got to have a meeting with you. I'm like, oh, shoot, what do you want to talk about? Now, again, you're about 21, 22 years old. You knew this was the right way to handle yourself. You met my office and said, hey, uh, I got to leave. I said, where are you going? You said, I got a job with the NBA. I was like, yeah, you need to go now. (laughs) So I honestly don't know what happened. Take us through as much as you can here of how did this process come about that so quickly out of college, you were offered a job by the NBA? 
Yeah, no, totally. It was, uh, I, I remember being very nervous, uh, setting that meeting up to you because <laughs> it just felt so at home, like working at one Oh four five with you guys. And, uh, even going back to Armin Williams, like some of those OGs, uh, so passionate, so good. And, uh, working with you guys was the best. So having, having to leave, it was the right decision for me, but it, it was tough, but yeah, I think it goes back to, um, early senior year, um, of college at Clarkson university. I, I addressed the, uh, the interest I had and kind of the importance of the social media, digital media space within sports and entertainment as a potential um, new route to take. Uh, looking, at the, um, looking at the route that a lot of these broadcasters get, like it's easy to say, I want to be the next Mike Greenberg, but that's a lot. It's, it's a long road to haul of, living in the middle of Wyoming doing Saturday morning skits on, on the channel that no one even like, it's a long road to haul. And that's, and I give so many people that take that route, all the credit in the world, because I I understand what goes into making it in that industry. So all credit to them. But I, I saw kind of a, another option, which was the digital media space and really started to network, um, with those people in the industry, be it in the college level, at the professional level, um, and started to open some doors with guys in the New York City area that uh, just, it's insane, man, uh, to see when one guy is willing to take your email, who he knows or who she knows. And then from there, you get three other emails to start. And then from those three who they know, and next thing you know, you're uh, you're talking to some MBA employees. And that's kind of how it went for me. So I um, I've I just credit networking. And if that's if that's a piece of advice that I could give anybody, it's that is something that I am glad that I started when I did right around senior year of really grinding for it, but I would have started freshman year. Like who the, heck, who the <laughs> heck knows where I, I, I could be now if I started even earlier, but um, it's all credit to networking and, and open the conversations up. So I ended up graduating in May of 2017 in a very interesting spot. All of my conversations that I was having um, with these people were, were going great. They were interested in my background. They were interested in me and me as a person. So very fortunate for that, but they all were kind of, we don't have a job now for you yet. So I was kind of in this limbo area of like, damn, the interest is there, but like, I don't really have a gig to like commit to. So <laughs> I, I head back home to Clifton park, New York, um, with the intent to be, I, I'm going to go back to ESPN radio, uh, like I said at the front, like great group of guys. Uh, I've I had an internship there already, so I I know what what's there. Who knows? I'll, I'll grind there. Maybe get a podcasting show or, or something to to start the the career there. But all the while, every day was emailing, calling, making sure that my name was still floating around in their minds, um, even after graduation. And come September of, of 2017, about four and a half, five months after graduation, I literally woke up and was having breakfast and got a random 201 area code. That's like the city area code, New York city area code, just calling me. I pick up 
and it was an HR member of the NBA calling, hey, we we got word from somebody uh, that I was that I was communicating with uh, within the league ranks um, that we like your resume. He forwarded it to us like it was it was honestly, guys, it was insane. I had not been in the the email process of, hey, here's my resume for a specific job. I had not really been applying formally, but through the conversations that I had, like my resume fell into HR's lap and um, they were like, hey, can you come down Thursday for, for kind of a day of interviews? We have a couple of departments that are like hiring. And I'm like, I'll be there yesterday. <laughs> I, I, I was, I, I, I was like flabbergasted, but also it, it was almost that awakening of like, oh my God, this is a dream. Like this is a dream come true. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm at the doorstep of, of making this a reality. So, um, I, yeah, I ended up going down a few days later and it was a, by day. the way, down is down is New Jersey for those who don't know, right? It's Hoboken, Secaucus, that area. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you're watching the NBA games and they're always going to the replay review center in Secaucus, that's where the content headquarters on the East coast is. And that's, uh, that's where I worked, um, at the Secaucus headquarters. So yeah, so drove down there and it was a, day long, about eight hours straight of interviews with guys that um, some ended up being like my boss and, and really big figures and others ended up, uh, I understood them being colleagues, but every person I was treating like was Adam Silver. Like it was, <laughs> it was one of those gauntlet days of just being on your best. Uh, how can I impress? And it was just interview after interview after interview. Um yeah, man. And to, to fast forward two weeks later, uh, I'm kind of in this uh, openness of I, I got a couple emails from that day of to, to be able to follow up and was getting just like, hey, nice job. We heard it went well. We'll let you know what we hear and wasn't hearing anything. So I'm like, damn, it might be a might be a stop. But then all of a sudden I get another call. Um Hey, can you start October? I think it was October 15th. So like a month after, um, a month after the interview phase that, uh, that it all started and it was day one at the NBA. There it is, man. A former college basketball player, all six foot six, you squeeze it into the caucus and you got the opportunity so quick in your career to be with a professional sports league and getting your paycheck signed by the NBA, which is mm. just insane and wild to think about. So take us through a daily uh, week for you? Is it Monday through Friday? Is it nine to five? How is it different than maybe most people when they hear a nine to five? I have a feeling it's far different than that because of what sure. went on with the NBA schedule and game nights and things like that. hundred percent. Yeah, guys, you're exactly right. It was not anywhere near nine to five. And that was one of the biggest like wake up alarms of, Oh, this is, this is big boy land. So, uh, <laughs> as, as we all know, uh, the games happen at night. So, um, for my first year, first 12 months at the NBA, my shifts were in large part like 4 p.m. to like 1 a.m. Because you had to go in uh, and like basically prep for the game night. So uh, before the games, uh, the slew of games were happening, I was part of the team. So I was on the social content team and um, we were a, a team of just like working army bees. It was awesome to work with everybody there. I'm still very close with a lot of them, but we would go in and uh, one of our first things was to check the injury report, obviously to see who was in and out. And then it was going to start to create a little highlight mixes that Twitter could use uh, for 
whatever. Grizzlies jazz tonight. Let's make a 35 second cut down of John Morant's best dunks of the season. And, and then the social, then we would kind of come up with captions, but yeah, the first like two and a half hours or so of the shift was always coming in, seeing the schedule of games and getting a couple highlight reels to be able to post onto the, to the platforms. Uh, Once the game night started and uh, the content center is something outside of anybody's imagination. I feel like you, it was on. So the NBA office is four floors and on the second floor is the content command center. You have the ref review room. You have the broadcast ops room that are looking at like, was the toe out of bounds, things like that. Then you have the, the content hub center, which was, a room full of screens and guys, when I tell you it's a room full of screens, it doesn't even do it justice. The the room was the size of like an absolute like auditorium, almost like when you were in middle school, like the lunchroom, how the cafeteria was just massive. Yeah, It, It was, it was an incredible sight and just, pods of desks when you say command center i think of like a spaceship i think like you're in a spaceship (laughs) with massive screens and that's where it is so that's where my imaginary imagination is going is that you're in a spaceship basically hey it's honestly it was like a a sports version of nasa (laughs) it was (laughs) you had so many pods of desks that we would actually set up and work at and then above you just had the tvs of every game so there was probably 30 tvs that we like would watch from and like the top row was all the, just the broadcast angle that the fan at home would see. And then below it was kind of like the, uh, the sophisticated version. They, they had a, a name for it. I, I forgot, but uh, it was kind of the ulterior angle. Uh, there were no reporters, no broadcasters uh, from a, vo- a volume perspective. It was literally just like other kind of B roll feed where um, if a fun fan was dancing, we could kind of cut that for a fun clip to post. So it was kind of that alternative uh, visual activity. So um, yeah. So once the, the game night started, we would go down to the content command center and it was just game on, we would all be assigned. So I was a part of a team of about 15 people deep and we would all be assigned one or two games, depending on the volume of, of uh, the amount of games and say I was, on for the Grizzlies jazz game, um, my mission of the night would be to cut every play that was worthy of a basketball fan seeing. And if it was anything from there, it we had tiers of importance, I guess. So Twitter was the most um, the most posting. So anything we had we had like a highlight cutting system. And all plays, whether it was a layup or a LeBron James poster dunk, come through that highlight system and they get ranked by a star rating. And anything three stars or above goes to Twitter. Anything four stars above goes to Instagram and Facebook. And anything five stars is like push notification on your phone worthy. It is... um, you. It was like Instagram, but from a multi-angle perspective, like five star was drop everything. It was a game winner type importance. And uh, so, yeah, it was kind of in the content command center, uh, pulling clips and, and getting the, getting the highlights ready to, to be posted. Um, That was my first year. So 
in my second year, I kind of graduated to become one of the guys that was going to the games to get the on-site coverage. So um, would show up at a game, NBA G League, WNBA as well, uh, for the behind the scenes, like Steph Curry warm up, um, or LeBron James, after he is warming up, he takes off a shoe and gives it to a little kid, getting those like ancillary moments that doesn't show up on the ESPN feed that you see at home. So um, I think paying the dues of, of cutting the highlights in that first year to then be afforded that opportunity to, to go to the games and um, post game at a Nets game, D'Angelo Russell has a great game. I, I was in the locker room with my phone out, like asking a couple quick questions after he got out of a shower, just like part of that media slew and um, getting that like real on, on site feel and experience was just so fulfilling, like as a fan and as me personally, a basketball player, like I was just like, damn, man, I'm really here at Barclays Arena, like feet on the court, like filming these guys play. Like what is life right now? I, I, it was, it was, it was insane. It's work is not the word you'd use to describe what you're doing. That's basically like <laughs> you're a fan with a camera and you're getting these opportunities. You mentioned like being in the locker with D'Angelo Russell. Yes, you're being a professional. Yes, you're getting paid to do this. Right. But don't let them know that because they'll pay you less and you'll say, okay, deal, because you're having such a fun time and having these great experiences. I do want to go back to that star system. I do find that very interesting, but I'm going to hold that off to a little later in the podcast. I'm very fascinated by that way in which that content's distributed. But as great as everything's going, look, you're, you're a basketball player, formerly in college and high school. You're working for the NBA. You're hanging with Steph Curry, LeBron, D'Angelo mm-hmm. Russell, all these amazing events. That is not where you are now. And in fact – you decided to leave for an opportunity with the XFL. This is the XFL 2020 version that kicks off. Take us through that process of why you made the decision to leave the NBA for this upstart league that was the XFL. Totally. Yeah, it was um, a, a decision that like obviously came with a ton of thought and like weighing the pros and cons. And something that I couldn't get out of my head was just, I was ready for the professional growth. Like obviously at the NBA, everyone was saying like, why would you leave? Why would you leave that? Um, I was a minnow in the Atlantic ocean in terms of like just pulling strings and having the creative freedom and and just the professional development. It was, it was going to be a long road to haul to, to really get to, some sort of like impressive stature at the NBA. Cause it, everyone there was like 22 years on the job, like no one left. So you were really starting at ground zero and uh, it, it was one of hundreds of people there. So when the XFL kind of really started to ramp itself back up in the 2.0 version, when you saw Vince McMahon coming in and putting that amount of money of his own pocket money into the investment uh and then you saw kind of the broadcast deals that they were cutting the stadium deals that they were that they were uh agreeing to it just all was like wow this is a really legitimate uh go at this like it, you you think about the xfl as what it was in the early 2000s where it was almost like a, a charade like a not a circus act but it was like a bit of like wwe wrestling mixed with football and it was kind of just this um activity this new xfl was like they were true to making it 
as real of a football league as, as they can possibly make it. And when I, when I found out that a New York team was one of the eight franchises that they were opening up, um, I knew that they were going to be looking for a social media team and lo and behold, they were looking for a social media manager. And, uh, with my interest to take that platform leap of, instead of just being one of many, I wanted to be one of a few, if not one of one. And that's what the XFL offered me of, Hey, you're going to come in and be the New York guardian social media manager, like all content planning, content posting creation is going to run through you, but you're going to have a couple videographers and a content director above you, but it's going to be a tight circle of who's calling the shots. And that was so, so uh, exciting to me. And it, the, 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 kind of saving grace that I was continuing to fall back on was yes, it's a new league, but with just the financial backing that it had and just the media attention that it was attracting, I'm like, okay, it is a new league, but this thing is coming with a vengeance. Like this thing is coming to be part of the sports landscape and to be a part of it at the ground level um, was exciting enough for me to take that leap. Yeah, so there you are. You're running the show for the Guardians, man. When it comes to social media, you were the contact point, and you and I spent some time together on a <laughs> 104-5-the-team trip over to MetLife Stadium. My Bud Light uh, fan of the game. That's right, with my <laughs> outfit on that was looking styling yeah. and profiling. So that, that's February of 2020. And as we all know now, the world completely changes come March of 2020 and beyond that. Take us through what you can share with us about the eventual demise of the XFL and how you as an employee of that league eventually found out were there rumblings before the announcement was made publicly that this could be potentially the future of the league. I want to talk about one of my favorite people here in the Capital Region, a hustler and now a partner here with Godzilla Media, and that's my pal Connor Lind at Northeastern Insurance. Connor is a broker for the agency representing over 20 nationally ranked carriers, Progressive, Nationwide, MetLife, Travelers, and more. He's going to review your coverages to ensure you and your belongings are properly protected all while saving you some money. Connor makes the process easy and simple. And whether it's your first time with your own insurance or maybe you've been with the same company for years, he'll do the shopping for you. The initial policy set up at each renewal, he'll do a full policy review to continuously make sure you have the most competitive rate and check for available discounts. Northeastern Insurance located at 1214 Troy Schenectady Road here in the Capital Region, right in Latham. So no need to wait on hold with... 800 numbers or call centers or anything else work with my guy connor he's going to take care of you no more reasons to wait call my guy connor lind 518-346-2886 518-346-2886 or email him connor c-o-n-n-o-r-l at n-e-mail.com for a free no obligation quote today for more of that information, check out our Instagram, Getting There with Gonsi. You can find it out. My guy, Connor Lind, over at Northeastern Insurance. Yeah, no, it was uh, a very unfortunate kind of uh, domino fall of events. I think uh, it was like March 16th when those Big East tournaments and uh, the pre-March Madness uh, college basketball tournaments shut down. And then right, I think the next night after... Uh, that first NBA game, they canceled and then they quit. Then the NBA quickly said, we're pausing activity. Um, that was all, all of those happenings were before we at the XFL were making any calls. And we all knew, hey, if the NBA is shutting down, 
we're, we're going to follow suit. We're not going to be just a rogue league. So we knew it was coming and it quickly came. Uh, our season got paused. And from a social media perspective, we were in this really weird situation of our season got shut down in the middle of week five. We were prepping for week six of a 10 week regular season. So like our, our content calendar and scheduling was all like, Hey, game on a weekend. The first couple days of that next week was recapping the game. And then the lat, the later part of the work week is previewing the next game. But we quickly went into this like off season mode with no real understanding of is this just now an, a, a longer off season than normal, or is the season going to continue or really what's, what's the future. So, uh, it was about a month, honestly, man, of just us posting like, here are the top five plays of our best wide receiver. Here are the top five plays of our best run. Like just kind of <laughs> making cool things up as we went to just try to keep the interest in this new formed league. Um, and then all of a sudden, 30 days in, you started to hear not just uh, the season's done. You were starting to hear rumblings of like, this could this could have like greater impact than just this season. Maybe we would be taking a full year off and trying to restart in 20, uh, 2021. We were like, all right, that would really sting. Like what would we even do from a content perspective? That was all my, my thought, but um, it was a lot of internal discussion that wasn't really spread to the greater um xfl employee until the the ruling came down so it came as i wasn't shocked that things fell through uh but it we weren't ever really tipped off formally to be like hey guys get prepared like may 1st is the last day of this like enjoy it while it lasts and, and finish out strong it was kind of just the day came it was a it was a group conference call and um Oliver Luck was just like, hey, appreciate everybody's – Oliver Luck was the commissioner of that uh, of the XFL 2.0, and he was just like, appreciate everybody's work. But, um, yeah, financially, we're not uh, really in a, in a place to continue on not knowing the timeline of this virus. Um, we wish everyone good luck, and that, and that was kind of it. So it went from – new league this is exciting to the league kicks off the media is actually enjoying it people are coming to the games uh the 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 broadcast ratings are are above goal above expected to a virus hits to it's no longer it was it was a wild nine months as an employee uh myself just going from the ebbs and flows of like the high lows peaks of the mountains to the lowest of the valleys it was it was all of that and more um, in such a short amount of time. What is that emotion like for you? Because being on a conference call with many people, look, it's a different experience than getting pulled into the office in the corner and getting fired by yourself and having <laughs> to pack up your stuff. But as you mentioned, like you, you might have kind of had an idea it was coming via social media, but not from your actual employer. What right. was that moment like? Maybe not just even individually for you, but everybody, like those are your friends. Those are your coworkers. You guys all went down together in one phone call. Right. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was frustrating. Like for sure, for sure. Like, especially for me, like I'll speak to myself because I was, I, I left something so recently, uh, that I was 
really debating hard of like, damn, should I leave? Should I not? And I, and I took the plunge and to it as an, as a league shut down, not my doing, like you said, it wasn't me. Hey, Drew, you stink at what you do. You're fired. It was, Hey guys, you are doing great, but financially we are choosing to no longer go. So sorry. Uh, so initial reaction was frustrated. Um, but the more that you learned, I, I think the, the newness of that virus, it like, it was so much bigger than sports that, um, like some of the players on the guardians were dealing with like COVID issues internally or at home with their, their family. And I think that in a weird way helped to it's like bigger than sports and bigger than a job. I, I, I would get another job whenever the time came, like this isn't the, the end all be all for me. So, um, through, through time, I, I got clarity, but yeah, like working with those, those XFL people, my still, some of them are friends of mine. It was, it was a cool, almost brother sisterhood of everybody had come from more established backgrounds. Not, not many people go from startup league to startup league to startup league as their profession. So whether they were coming from a non-sports background or uh, I had some friends that were at the MLB or uh, at other kind of more established sporting brands to the XFL because they were so interested in the startup. So we were all in it together for the same reasons. And for us to uh, to kind of uh, ki- get kicked to the curb for s- reasons outside of our control was um, an initial frustrated shock. But um Hey, everything happens for a reason, man. And it's a brutal time, obviously, to repeat this. And when we're taping this is May of – it was actually June of 2021 right. when we're doing this. It's that you're now becoming a free agent and your experiences with live sports in the sense of when sports are happening, that's your background now. But they're on pause. And you're right. somebody who's in their mid-20s with a very good resume in his mid-20s. But in a period now where you become a free agent, been laid off, where there is going to be not directly because of you but because of the world – difficulty to find openings because the nuance of this virus we have no idea when these leagues not in the xfl because we know that shut down but anybody of when they're coming back and how they're going to find money to hire people like this but because as you've touched on in this podcast you're smart you network you know people to talk to you know that way in which to help yourself you do land a new job and the job you're doing now is an exciting opportunity that again seems to be one of these things that in the future could have a lot of cool things on the way for sports fans. Totally. Yeah. So uh, after a few months of uh, free agency, um, PointsBet Sportsbook, which is uh, an online gambling company similar to a FanDuel or DraftKings, um, they're based uh, East Coast wise in Jersey City. And that's where I reside. So right in my backyard and uh, it was kind of crazy because uh, every day I was on LinkedIn, Teamworks Online, like looking for gigs. Because, like you said, I was, I was desperate. I was looking for my next role. Like I, I hit the curb, um, and out of nowhere, PointsBet was just hiring for a bunch of like semi in the realm of what I was looking for roles, like digital marketing, uh, some content plays. Um, but this digital marketing coordinator position, which is what I currently am now, uh, seemed just like a cool opportunity. So I knew that given the landscape of where the world was, 
no sport team or league was going to be hiring if they knew that no fans were going to be there. The revenue was down. The appeal to uh, post things, you know, like in real time to fans, it just wasn't there. Um, and it wasn't honestly appropriate. Like if you remember early on in the pandemic, the sports teams, if they were even playing, they were posting like very, very rarely. And like, it was, it was all understanding the the temperature of the room. So just my whole industry was in a way pushed to the side. So I, I kind of knew that and was expecting that. So points bet being a, an, a sports betting company uh, wasn't anything that I had done before. And if I told you three, four years ago, would I be working at a sports gambling company? Wouldn't have said yes, but uh, now I'm 10, 11 months into the role. And it's been such a, uh, a, such a fulfilling experience to see the, the marketing side of things. Like I was three and a half, four years of career experience of just on the sideline, on half court, getting content, like content was the name of the game. And it kind of started and finished there here at points bet. I'm on the growth and acquisition marketing team. So my team's bread and butter is getting new clients into our book rather than a DraftKings or a FanDuel or whoever. Um, and to aid that we partner with, uh, teams in all the states that we're legal in. So we're currently legal in six states. Um, and within each state, we cut deals with the professional sports teams and the media kind of depart, uh, companies there so that we're on commercials. We are in stadium signage. We have uh, radio hits on the ESPN local networks, things, all of those things to uh, spread our brand awareness and spread our voice as, as a co uh, company. Um, and being on that kind of like background, but also forefront uh, view of it all has been like, I'm learning stuff every day that I wouldn't have even thought of about this industry in this role. So it's, uh, it's different from what I've done, but um, I really think it rounds out my career experience so far as a 26 year old, it's, it's been cool. And who knows, maybe in the future, if Godzilla media gets big enough points bet and us will be partnering <laughs> in the future. Who knows where the future knows, will hold it. Let's get a right? sports betting podcast. Let's, let's throw a points bet logo underneath this little uh, let's screen. Let's do it. Yes. Let, let's make it happen. <laughs> so usually at the end of this podcast, I give you five questions to talk about stories of your careers and everything else, but you were so unique and so different in the spot in your career. So unfortunately, or fortunately, we're going to see how these answers turn out. Rather than having me ask you questions and stories about your career, I kind of want to look continue towards the future. Because in the span of 18 to 20 months for you, you've worked for the NBA, the XFL, and now points bet. Like, yeah. that's insane that fast. So I kind, of, I kind of want to start with this. And again, don't feel like you're going to be on freezing cold takes if you get these wrong. I'm just honestly <laughs> curious. I think a lot of people will be too. Yeah. What do you feel like for this first question? Is the future of sports betting here in the U.S.? Yeah, future of sports betting is uh, the it's limitless. To be quite honest with you, that it's uh, it's a fun answer to give because you're seeing currently how teams are starting to um, bring in official sports betting partners. You're you're watching an NBA game and you'll see a FanDuel banner. So they're starting to open up the idea of okay, this is cool. I think we are getting into a situation i know points bet we are building a 
in-stadium casino where people will be able to casino cafe restaurant vibe. It's not a full on casino right? within the Denver nuggets arena. We are going to have a in arena presence as a points bet sports book. Cause there are official NBA uh, team. Um, so we're going to see all of these sports betting companies have real in-person feel so that uh, if you're at the game, you're going to be able to get uh offers that nobody else will be able to access as, as a token to your uh, paying for a, a, t- a ticket to be in the stadium. So I think that's on the very close to basically next season, it's going to start. Um, I think it's going to like, you're seeing ESPN already having that daily wagers show uh, just the, the fact that the, the sports media uh, kind of industry is opening up to gambling really the opportunities are going to be endless. Like I, I just think it's going to start to uh, be on screen. You're watching an NFL game and instead of just the ticker of the other NFL games, I feel like we're going to in short order be in a, in a world where the ticker is going to be like, will Jalen hurts throw next play? Will he run next play? Will he get sacked? And there be odds for every single thing because the more people bet, the more money everybody makes. So why not make every single play bettable? And um, yeah, it's 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 just going to be insane to see where it takes off. But just already uh, what it's done to the sports industry, I think in the next 18 to 20 months, it's just going to be heightened and more prevalent because only so many states are legal for one only it's kind of a team by team basis, whether they want to engage, even if they're in a legalized state. So I think the states are seeing the others that are legal, just how much of a money grab it is. So I think everyone's in short order is going to be wanting the wanting a piece of the pie. So as a sports betting company, we're licking our chops. Like, Hey, <laughs> the more, the more visible we could get as a book, the better. So it's, it's going to be, uh, the, the horses out of the gate. Like let's start sprinting. That's right, man. It's no longer in the shadow of sports gambling. It's no longer rumored and everything. It is right. no doubt now in the forefront. Now I know the players and the management and everything has changed, but do you believe the XFL can still work? I do. Uh, I think, Vince McMahon at the start of XFL 2.0 was a uh, splash, a name of of enough to to really get into the media and uh, have people take it seriously. To see now in 3.0, Dwayne The Rock Johnson as one of the guys of calling the shots, he's so successful and so um, appreciated within the entertainment industry and sports industry, just given his background. Uh, The fact that he is slow burning this return. He's not rushing back into it just to get back on the field. He's He understands that it's tried and failed a few times. So it, he, it seems like he's taken the approach of the long haul to make sure that he um, gets all the ducks in a row. Like he's already talking to the CFL, the, the real uh, information about how the potential partnership will work I don't think is is clear cut yet, but whether it's a championship game with the XFL best team versus the CFL best team, or uh, just a combination to make one big league, the fact that he's uh, addressing the other non-NFL football league to be like, hey, like, 
the more the better, the more the merrier, the the stronger we could be. Let's let's try to make it work. I think is also a very smart play. So I do think uh, I do think that more more football is is good, and I and I think that given the short life of XFL 2.0, the interest is there. You just have to make sure you're doing it right. So I I, I am cautiously optimistic that the XFL will work. You mentioned earlier in the podcast how the NBA had this almost star system, five stars, four stars, three stars. And with each star rating, it would go on different platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I think a lot of people heard that answer. I know I did. I kind of thought, wow, it is broken down that much of how quickly these things are going to go. And whether it be a business, whether it be a sports team, they may be making mistakes when it comes to their social media content. And I know this thing constantly changes. The answer you give me now, you want to change six months from now or three years from now. I always point to the UMBC guy and think he changed the way in which sports teams handle social media and content and accounts and everything else. But let's just go with the business side of it first. And if you want to explain it to sports, we can. What's the best social media advice you can give to businesses trying to improve their overall Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And I know that might be like a loaded question because maybe there's a different answer for all three of them. Yeah, no, it's uh, definitely a great question. Uh, I think first and foremost, it is better to be right than to be first. Because if you rush out a post and you have a misspelling, uh, a grammatical error, um, the, the highlight that you pulled from the content system is the wrong one because you were rushing you immediately lose credibility. You become the laughing stock of the posting game because soon everybody will post about it if it's a good enough play. So making sure that you reread it just that last second uh, to make sure that everything is right, that's first and foremost. I think that's something that I learned early and often at the NBA of, hey, the NBA, we have 50 million followers on Instagram. We have four mil- just 30 million on Twitter. We have the following. That's We're going to go viral anything we post. So make sure you're posting right. The difference when I went to the XFL was, hey, we don't have a following. So how can we make a splash? And that's where um, I think you're now starting to see NFL teams really have kind of a swagger to their social media game. But uh, don't be afraid to... Uh, stretch, stretch the boundary a little bit, like understand who you're speaking to, like social media, uh, continuously every day is, is the, is a new generation. Like you're not necessarily talking to, um, the generation that grew up, you know, watching Larry Bird and think of the NBA as some like, Hey, these three pointers are not good for the game. Like they think (laughs) the mic and drill is the best drill ever. Like, Social media is, you know, sexy, it's quick, it's witty, it's uh, how are you going to stand out from the hundreds of thousands of other accounts that are posting the same thing. And um, so the creativity, but professionalism at the same time is a balance that honestly takes a long time. And some people don't even end up getting that skill set, but to be able to find that balance of how can I make a splash in a professional way is, is also key. Now this might be your million dollar answer. So I'm going to write this down because I think we're both going to get rich. If you get this right, what is the future of social media in particular in sports? Is it going to continue to be the platforms we're used to or something coming that Drew's got the inside scoop on? We got to invest our Dogecoin in. (laughs) I don't have any scoop, but uh, (laughs) I do think that um, 
social media uh, is is going to cater to the athlete so much more. I think with the um, the likeness and image likeness within the college sport game that colleges are now going to be appreciating athletes endeavors off the field or off the court from an early age. Um, these players and, and athletes, once they get to that highest level, Texas football or the Los Angeles, Los Angeles Lakers as a professional, like it's not going to be just about, Hey, here's a three point highlight clip. I think it's going to be so much more of like understanding the scope of what's happening in the world. Like all these teams posting, um, in solidarity about the George Floyd, uh, instance and things that are off the court, but understanding the value and importance that social media has on the world. I think you're going to just see it kind of turn into, in a way like the, the the new news, like no one's turning on the local news after the game to see the Knicks highlights. Frankly, in a lot of ways, no one's even turning on the Knicks game to watch the highlights. They're on house of highlights, Instagram to see the cool plays. So um, social media is becoming the hub for where people get their, their news and information. And um, I think just as technology advances and um, everything gets better and smarter social media is just going to kind of adapt and continue to grow yeah another way to put that instead of twitter instagram facebook and these social media places being a platform it will become the platform that's where they're going to go every single time rather than the past traditional media senses and companies and setups and things like that yeah the last question here maybe the most important even more than that million dollar answer you just gave us the best advice you can give somebody whether it's a a young person at Shen, your alma mater, Clarkson, and they want to follow your footsteps and they want to do something similar as you and find those openings at great jobs like Points Bent, the NBA, the XFL, maybe the new version more. What is the best advice you can offer young people to get where you are in your career now? Yeah, first uh, and foremost, it's identifying the passion. Um, I knew from an early age, like what I wanted to do and it ended up kind of morphing and that's going to happen in anybody's career. Uh, the actual path that they take. But uh, first of all, identifying your vision so that you could really focus your time, energy, resources to fulfilling that. Next is truly, I I already said it, but the power of networking is, um, me describing it now just doesn't do it justice, just how important it is. It is, don't be discouraged if you get a no or if you get not an answer. Nobody even answers you because if you continue to do it, somebody will answer you. And who knows who that person that answers you knows. That's how I started. That's how I got in to the industry. And once you are in the industry, you realize how um, much of like a, a tight circle. Once you, once a company sees where you've been, they kind of trust and value where you've been. So it's it's doing the groundwork early of identifying that vision and then reaching out to anybody and everybody two times, three times over to just get your name out there and, and to uh, open as many doors as you can. Well, it's worked for you. I'm so proud of you to call you a former <laughs> intern of mine to see where your career has gone, man. I am thrilled to see continued success for you and wherever your future is going to take you. I know it's going to be great things. Drew, thank you so much for spending the time, man. Enjoy it. And I'm sure we'll be talking again very soon in the near future, man. 
Hey, uh, I appreciate you bringing me on. I'm proud of you. The uh, your journey as well is uh, admirable, and I'm I'm pumped to see what you're doing. So thank you for having me, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.